thank you for your tremendous, amazing love for us. God, in view of your love, in view of your great mercy you've shown us, we pray that we will offer our bodies and our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you, that we won't just accept your love as an abstract idea that we keep in our mind, and that we won't just accept it and think, okay, this benefits me, but, but not recognizing how you want to transform our lives and how you want to reach others through us, Lord. I pray that as we accept your love, that we will do so with uh, gratitude and also with an eye towards allowing your love to transform us from the inside out so that we will become fully devoted followers of Christ and will radiate his love to those around us. Lord, we thank you for your love for us, and we declare this morning that we love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start off this morning with a little bit of a quiz. Four different questions. The first three questions you are invited to respond out loud. First question is this. What do you think is the primary purpose of a school? What do you think? All right. Pretty unanimous on that. Education. Yeah, primary purpose of a school is to educate students, to prepare them for um, a, a healthy, responsible life after school. Okay, second question. Uh, what do you think is the primary purpose of a hospital? Heal? What's it, make well? No. Um, yeah, primary purpose of the hospital is really to help people get better and to stay healthy uh, so, that, so they don't have to go back to the hospital, hopefully, in the future. Okay, third one. What do you think is the primary purpose of a business? Make money? hear that from a variety of different people in a variety of ways. Make money. But yeah, I mean, you could say that a lot of businesses have other motives and, and hopes as well, uh, perhaps benefiting people in various ways. But bottom line for most businesses, the goal is to make money. Okay, fourth one. This is one you can just think in your mind. You don't have to answer out loud. What do you think is the primary purpose of a church? Primary purpose of a church. I mean, for, for school and for hospital and even for businesses, it's relatively straightforward. But many times if you went out and surveyed people in the street of what do you think is the primary purpose of a church, or even if you were to go to another church in the area and maybe as people are filing out to the parking lot after church, ask them, what do you think is the primary purpose of a church? You'd probably get a wide variety of answers. Some people would probably talk about the social aspect of church, of how it's great to be able to connect with other people, especially other Christians. You would get some people who would talk about services that the church offers, particularly at important times of the year or important junctures in a person's life. I mean, things like at birth or at death, at marriage, Christmas time, Easter time. Those are the times that people oftentimes think of church being important in their lives. You'd find a lot of other people who would talk about the importance of church being a source of comfort, a source of advice, a source of motivation for them, encouraging them to keep their chin up and to keep going forward even when times are difficult. So if you surveyed people, you'd probably get a wide variety of responses about the significance and meaning and purpose of church. But really, the church does have a variety of appropriate uh, things that it does. But the focal point of everything a church does should come back to this one purpose of making disciples. That's the primary purpose that I believe churches are called to, is to make disciples. This morning, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. And if you'd like to, you can also put a finger over in Colossians chapter 1. Today is a little bit of a different message than we typically have, because typically we're going through a sermon series. For instance, last week we just finished up a series in the book of Ruth. Next week, we're starting a new series. It's a topical series. This is called Big Butts. 
Now, it's buts with one T, referring to key objections that people have to the Christian faith. Because if we want to be out there sharing the gospel with people and pointing people to Jesus, we're going to find that there are times when people raise objections or tough questions, and we want to be equipped in order to know how to respond to those things. And so, if, the, if you've been around here for a few years, you may, be, you may remember that back in 2011, we also had a series called Big Butts um, that examined six of the key objections to the Christian faith. And now we're doing essentially Big Butts Part 2, uh, doing it again with different butts this time. Next week, the butt we're going to be looking at is, but Christians are so intolerant. If you've talked with non-Christians much about your Christian faith, Odds are good you heard some variation of that, but Christians are so intolerant. So we're going to be starting off with that next week. But today, we're just taking like one week here between sermon series and talking about how God has called us as a church to make disciples. We're seeking clarity of understanding, clarity of alignment in terms of what we are doing to make disciples and why we are doing it. And I want to start off by pointing out the centrality of disciple-making that Scripture shows. And I'm going to do it just pointing to, to a couple different passages. First of all, out of Matthew 28. This is known as Jesus' great commission just before he ascended into heaven. He t- he's talking with his disciples, and he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you were to look at this in the original language of Greek, you would recognize that there is one main verb here in this statement that Jesus is making. The main verb is make disciples. So this is Jesus' call to make disciples. In the Greek language, the original language there, this is one word, make disciples. That's the main verb here. That's the main command that Jesus is commissioning them to. And we see some other words here too. But the other words, like going and baptizing and teaching, these are called participles. They support the main verb. And so going and baptizing and teaching are a part of the process of making disciples. But making disciples is the primary point that Jesus is calling us to. Go, make disciples. And going and baptizing and teaching is a part of the process. Now I want to turn our attention to Colossians chapter 1, where we see Paul's passion to make disciples. Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29, Paul writes, We proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect, or everyone fully mature in Christ. He says, To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So this is Paul's passion to make disciples. He's seeking to carry out the commission that Christ has given all Christians and he's seeking to make disciples. He does this in a variety of different ways. Um, he has a variety of different activities he's doing in this disciple-making process. For instance, he does a lot of traveling from town to town to get the gospel out there. He writes a lot of letters to churches to encourage them and to help them grow as disciples. He, he does a lot of public speaking, for instance, in lecture halls or in synagogues. He has a lot of smaller-scale conversations in, in marketplaces. He's helping out people who have practical needs. But the focus of why he's doing all this is to make disciples. So these are just a couple passages that we're going to look at here just that point to the importance of making disciples. That is a primary calling of us as a church. But this does raise a very important point. And the point is, what is a disciple? 
Because if we want to make disciples, we need to understand, okay, what are we trying to aim for? How do we know if we're actually moving towards that goal of making disciples? This is a fundamental question that we must understand the answer to if we are to be successful in making disciples. Now, here's what the football is for. Many of you know of Vince Lombardi, the iconic Packers coach. Stories go on about how at the beginning of training camp every season, he would stand in front of his football players and say, this is a football. Gentlemen, this is a football. And granted, they already knew this was a football, but what this was was his way of communicating to them the fact that we are going to start with the fundamentals and we're going to make sure we get the fundamentals right because if we don't get those right, we're going to struggle to perform well as a football team. Now, it's very, it's very clear. Five words. This, or gentlemen, this is a football. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we had the ability to say, ladies and gentlemen, this is a disciple. To be able to hold up the model of what a disciple is so that we know what we're really aiming for. Because if we don't know what we're aiming for, it's going to be tough to really hit it, isn't it? So this is a question of what is a disciple that our adult discipleship team here at Frieden set out to try to understand biblically a few years ago. So we devoted a number of months to studying Scripture to see what are the characteristics of a growing follower of Christ according to God. We also read articles online. We, we scoured books. We had a lot of discussion, a lot of prayer, because we were trying to understand what are the characteristics that should be present in a growing follower of Christ, because that's how we're ultimately going to measure whether or not we're successful as a church, whether or not we're faithful to God's call. So what is a disciple? Well, after all this um, work, we ended up with this long list, about a page and a half long, single space, bullet points of characteristics that biblically help us understand what a disciple is. I mean, that's a starting point. But imagine if someone came up to you and said, hey, I want to grow as a follower of Christ. How do I grow? What should I be looking for? I mean, are you just going to pull out this long page and a half list and say, hey, here you go. Good luck. Go try it. It's not very helpful. It's not very transferable or memorable, is it? And so what we sought to do is come up with a more memorable, transferable, helpful way of picturing what it means to be a disciple. And out of that came what we call the up and out triangle. It's good because we discern that much of what we saw in terms of these characteristics revolve around three key relationships that we have. One is the relationship with God, which we call the up relationship. Another is our in relationship with other Christians within the body of Christ. And then we found that a number of these other characteristics of a growing follower of Christ revolve around how we relate to the outside world in terms of non-Christians. And so, so we put this on a triangle, called it, calling it the up and out triangle. Then we put the gospel smack dab in the middle of it, reminding us that we are gospel-centered, that we're focused on the good news of what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection and how the gospel must not only inform, but must define and shape each one of these key relationships. Now, there, is, there, there was another section of, um, of characteristics of a growing follower of Christ that didn't fully fit into this triangle. And so we developed a larger picture uh, that includes a fruitfulness. Fruitfulness in terms of Christ-like character and in terms of making more disciples. And what we saw as we looked in the scripture is that this Christ-like character and making more disciples, they aren't things that we just, just manufacture on our own. They're things that the Holy Spirit bears out. They're things that, as, according to John 15, as we stay connected to Christ, that he will bear this fruit in us and through us. 
And so if a person has healthy up-in-and-out relationships that are gospel-centered, they will, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be bearing fruit of Christ-like character and making more disciples. On the other, uh, looking at it the other way, if a person looks at their life and they realize, you know, I'm not really growing in Christ-like character, I'm not really having much of an influence on others for the sake of Christ, really then you could trace that back to the up-and-out triangle and, and probably find a deficiency in at least one part of those three key relationships or in the application of the gospel. And so over time, as we begin to focus more and more on the up-and-out triangles, our north star of what we're trying to do in making disciples, uh, we adapted our mission statement to fit this as well, saying that our mission as a church is making disciples through up-and-out relationships. That's really our mission, is to make disciples through up-and-out relationships. And it's been really neat over the last few years to see how this up-and-out terminology and understanding of, of these three key relationships has really infiltrated what we're doing as a church in many different ways. And one of the things I've seen is how it comes out in the course of conversation with people here at Freedens. For instance, about a year and a half ago, I received an email from a woman who's a part of our congregation. Um, and I want to read you a portion of this email. She said, I want to take a few moments of your time and share something with you. As I continue to study the Bible and grow in my prayer life, I feel convicted to move into the out relationship of my life, even though my up and in relationships are still quite new and growing. I am praying for a direction as to where I should begin to grow in the out relationship. Can you help me or refer me to someone who can? Is there a need at Freedens or some, somewhere in the community? I would appreciate any direction you may give. So I love this type of email. It's kind of fun to send those forever families emails uh, just because, you know, it's going to make someone's day and really make a difference in their lives. It's fun to receive emails like this of people who are really excited to grow in their walk with God. So this email was encouraging to me. That way it's encouraging to see this woman wanting to reach out with the gospel to people around her. But it was also encouraging to see how the categories of up, in, and out relationships really helped her to see how to grow more fully as a well-rounded follower of Christ. If we didn't have the up and out triangle, I'm not sure if, if it would have been that clear in her mind on, on, on the importance of growing in the out relationship. But the up and out triangle, triangle gives us categories through which to understand our own relationship with God as individuals and as a church. So the up and out triangle really serves as our north star of where we are going in terms of trying to make disciples. But it still begs the question, another key question, of how do we make these types of up and out disciples? I mean, it's one thing to say we want to do this. It's another thing to figure out how are we going to do it. Now, these passages that we looked at from Matthew and from Colossians point out one of the key ways, which is teaching people. Oftentimes when we think of teaching, we think of passing information from one person to another, kind of like we're doing right here, or kind of like we do in Sunday morning classes or even in Bible studies, that you're helping people gain biblical information. But unfortunately, oftentimes information that we gain doesn't necessarily transform our lives. I mean, we can come up with any wide variety of examples of information that we know up here, but it doesn't really make that much of a difference in how we live. I think, for instance, of how every year in America there are about 600,000 people who have heart bypass surgery. It's a major surgery that, that takes place when someone has some serious health issues. I mean, their health is in serious jeopardy. And then they have the surgery, and it can give them a new lease on life. 
But oftentimes the doctor, around the time of the surgery, talks to that patient about the importance of making some changes in their life in order to make sure that they, they live healthy, that, that the, um, so that the changes brought, out, brought about by the surgery really lead to long-term health rather than just a repetition of health problems over and over and over. So the doctor may talk to the patient saying, okay, let's change your lifestyle some. You need to exercise more. You need to eat better. You need to remove some stress from your life. Maybe stop smoking or stop drinking as much. And so they have these warnings basically saying, you need to change or you're going to die sooner than you would otherwise. But study after study after study has shown that even though these patients know that they need to change or they're going to die soon and they have additional complications uh, leading up to that death, um, nine, studies have shown that 90% of people within two years after heart bypass surgery have reverted back to their old way of life, that there is no discernible change in their lifestyle from before surgery to after surgery. I mean, they could tell you all about the need to change but for some reason, they either can't or won't. It's head knowledge that's not applied. And I think for us as Christians, it's many times the same way that we hear that we should read the Bible on a regular basis or that we should share our faith with those around us or that we should, we should live with sexual purity or that we should forgive those who hurt us. But unfortunately, that oftentimes gets stuck up here as head knowledge and it doesn't actually get lived out in our lives. So teaching biblical principles and teaching about Jesus is very important, but it can't just stop there. We have to take it a step further in terms of how do we actually make disciples. And so what we've done here, kind of behind the scenes for the last several years with the adult discipleship team and with our church council is try to understand how is God calling us to make disciples? And we wanted to figure something out that's relatively simple and relatively straightforward. It doesn't consume like eight nights a week for you. That would be hard to consume eight nights a week, wouldn't it? But it doesn't consume all your time because we know you are busy. I'm busy. Unfortunately, busyness is one of the biggest hindrances to spiritual growth, even for the most genuine Christians. So how do we help people grow as followers of Christ in a way that's realistic? And so what we sought to do is to identify two core disciple-making ministries that as a church, we can say, okay, if you're only involved in two things here at the church, here are the things that are going to maximize your spiritual growth. One of the core disciple-making ministries that we identified is right here on Sunday mornings. And by Sunday mornings, we're referring to both the church service and Sunday morning classes lumped into one unit. I mean, it's one unit of time, about two hours long. And Sunday mornings here at Freedens are designed to equip and to inspire us to grow as followers of Christ. For instance, with, with our church services, uh, we want to give you relevant, uh, practical, biblical teaching that you can apply to your life. Uh, we want to help inspire us to follow Christ through music and through testimonies and through videos and through other stories to inspire us to want to follow Christ. Our Sunday morning classes are also designed to help us, give us a toolbox to equip us to follow Christ. Uh, if you're familiar um, with our cycle of Sunday morning classes, you probably know it revolves around the up and out triangle. For instance, we have three classes focused on the up relationship with God. And then after six weeks, we rotate the three classes on our out relation, or in relationships with other Christians. That's the cycle we're in right now. And then six weeks later, we transition to three classes on our out relationship with the surrounding world. And we just go around the cycle. And, and the classes kind of filter in and out. Classes are oftentimes offered more than once, so that if you missed it one time, you can take it the next. 
Yet at the same time, we consistently have new classes coming in so that you'll never be forced to take a class that you've already taken once, even though that can still be a great way to continue to allow these truths to sink in more deeply. So you see there, Sunday morning classes are all about helping you grow in your up, in, and out relationships, giving you that toolkit as a follower of Christ. But we also have to recognize that Sunday mornings have some natural deficiencies, some natural challenges uh, as well. And one of them is relationally. That the relationships on Sunday mornings are oftentimes relatively superficial. I mean, you may be able to talk with someone and be like, hey, how's the week going and stuff like that. Um, but realistically, conversations don't take place for more than a few minutes on Sunday mornings. You aren't really able to dig into life, talk about the deep things that are going on, hold each other accountable, encourage each other on a really deep basis. And so therefore, we need something else in addition to Sunday mornings to take us deeper because relationships are key. Proverbs 27 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So we need deeper, more committed relationships to help us apply God's word to our lives. And so for this, our second core disciple-making ministry is what we call huddles. These are something that are relatively new to the church, although we've had a number of small discipleship-oriented groups going that have been very fruitful thus far, but we're trying to, to broaden the effect of them. So huddles help people experience this up-and-out type of relationship. And let me tell you, give you essentially a description of what a huddle is. Huddles are groups of two to four people of the same gender who are committed to meeting twice a month to help each other grow as followers of Christ. So it's a small group of people, um, which is good for the intimacy there, for the connection, for the honesty, for the accountability. And, and they're committed to meeting twice a month. So it's a relatively realistic time commitment. So you're not committed every night of the week or something like that, but it's a couple times a month, high commitment level there to help you apply God's word to your life. That's really the focus of huddles. It's not just to gain new information because if you're around church much, if you're reading your Bible much at all, if you're reading other books or involved in other Bible study, you're gaining plenty of information. The question is, how are we applying it? So, so the big emphasis of huddles is asking, what is God teaching me and what am I going to do about it? See, so often in, in Bible studies, in regular small groups, even in church services and things we read, we talk a lot about what God's teaching me. What am I learning from this? But we fail to take that next step in actually applying it to our lives and saying, okay, in the next week, in the next month, this is how this truth is going to make a difference. And this is what I'm going to do about it. And that's what huddles are all about. It requires a smaller group of people for that level of accountability and that level of depth there. But that's what huddles are about, is applying God's word to our lives. And if you're like me, you hear a lot of cool things and you learn new things, but you don't actually apply them that easily. I think of how recently I was reading through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' uh, classic sermon in Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. I could read through, through that in, you know, maybe 20, 30 minutes, something like that. And one morning I was sitting there just starting to read at the beginning of Matthew 5. I'm just kind of blowing through it and realizing, you know what? I've read the Sermon on the Mount so many times before. At the rate I'm going... Yeah, it might refresh my memory of what's in there, but it's not really going to impact me very much. And I think that's oftentimes how we interact with Christian truth, is that we're hearing it, but it's not really sinking in and changing us. So what I did, I, I made myself stop and say, okay, I could easily read through this in one sitting, but I'm going to stop, going to sl slow down, look at this passage, going to look at it on a paragraph-by-paragraph -paragraph basis, one paragraph each day, and of each paragraph ask, okay, what is one truth that God wants to impress upon me today? 
and what am I going to do about it? It makes a difference when you really look at biblical truth in that way. If you're not just looking at it to gain head knowledge or to check off a box, but you're looking at it, wanting it to actually change your life. And huddles force us to slow down from our busy schedules and to, to in a small, trusting group, talk about this is what God's been teaching me, and then this is what I'm going to do about it. And there's accountability to follow through on that. And so that's really the focus of huddles. There is in huddles also this outreach focus. Huddles encapsulate all three areas of the up and out triangle. And this outreach focus is in terms of what we call mission focus areas. A mission focus area is a particular group of people, hopefully whom you already interact with on a regular basis, that you are prioritizing that group of people to reach with the gospel. So it's non-Christians in your workplace or in your neighborhood or on your sports team or somewhere else. And you're saying, I'm going to prioritize that group of people to pray for them by name on a regular basis and to be very intentional to, to help build trust and care there in those relationships and also intentional to look for the places to sow seeds for the gospel because we believe the gospel flows best over the bridge of relationships. And so, so huddles really form a foundation for where you can, how you can reach out to the mission focus area where you can receive encouragement and accountability and ideas and prayer from the people in your huddle in order to, to be uh, as fruitful as possible in that mission focus area. So huddles, I mean, there's a lot more to this. Uh, you may be thinking, well, this is a lot. I don't know if I can fully get my mind around it. Uh, our website has a lot of resources. We encourage you, if you're interested in being in a huddle, check out the website because there are a lot of resources that can help move you in the right fruitful direction. Now, the formation of huddles is relatively free-flowing. We aren't just going to go through our roster here at the church and say, okay, these people are paired up over here and these people over here. It's, impo it's important that the people in your huddle are people who you trust and people who you like being with and people who you know have a level of commitment um, in order to, to keep meeting together and, and a willingness to be held accountable. Now, we do recommend that, that they are groups of about two to four to keep that intimacy level there. We recommend that, if possible, probably people in the same family um, are probably not best to have together just because that can inhibit accountability or honesty. But we encourage you, if you know other people that you like being around, other Christians um, who are committed to growing in their walk with God, we encourage you, even seek them out and say, hey, you want to be in a huddle together? Then check out the resources online that can help you get started. If you're like, I have no idea where to start. I don't even know anyone else here at the church, but I want to be in one of these. Come talk with me. I can probably help do some matchmaking there. Um, sometimes my matchmaking doesn't work out that well, but sometimes it works out really well. Um, I, I'm not going to do, like, dating matchmaking, but I'll do— this is, Anyway, um, I'll help you find someone else who can be a good person or group of people to be in a huddle with. Um, or you can also check out the Huddle 101 class, which started between services today. So we are committed as a church to making disciples. These are our two core disciple-making ministries. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to go through the motions of doing church. It's so easy just to have this on our schedule to come here on Sunday mornings and say, okay, I'm doing this just because my family does it or just because this is what I always do or this is just kind of inspiring and encouraging in my week, gives me fuel for the week. That's good. I want to see us still growing as followers of Christ and people who make more disciples. And I think in order to do this, we have to be intentional. Making disciples generally doesn't happen haphazardly. And so we are seeking to be intentional. I encourage you and I challenge you to look at your life and ask, okay, what is the next step I can take 
in growing as a disciple or in making more disciples. I mean, if you're very sporadic in coming on Sunday mornings, perhaps focus on being more consistent. If you're consistently here on Sunday mornings for the church service, consider getting involved in a Sunday morning class. If you're already involved in those things, consider getting into a huddle. Look at taking that next step. And the cool thing about huddles is they can continue to grow and morph so that wherever you are spiritually, it can help you keep taking that next step forward with Christ. That's our prayer, that we will be faithful to make disciples. And I believe that as we do so, we're going to see transformation in us as individuals. We're going to see transformation in us as a church. And as we reach out, we're going to see transformation in the communities around us. Now, we do have other ministries here at the church as well. We have other Bible studies. We have Forever Families, things like that. But the focus of everything we do is making disciples. And we want to say, okay, if you're only focused on two things as a church, here it is, Sunday mornings, huddles. I want to encourage each one of us to take our walk with God seriously, to take seriously the call to be disciples and to make disciples. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you that you give us the privilege of being called children of God. You give us the privilege of following Jesus. And we know that's a high calling. We know that Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Lord, at times that's daunting. But we also are thankful, Lord, that you've put brothers and sisters in Christ into our lives who can help us to grow in our walk with you. And Lord, I pray that you will be at work in each one of our lives and at work in us as a church, at work in, in this community around us, Lord, to make more disciples and to help men and women who are already following you to follow you more faithfully. Lord, we pray these things for your glory and I have a desire to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.